Well, good morning, friends. So good to see you here this morning. Turn in your Bibles to Psalm 2. Psalm 2. What a great song. Amen. That was an amazing reminder of why we're here and really what we're going to be talking about today. We are beginning a new series called Seasons with God. And the reason why we're calling this Seasons with God is because there are so many different kinds of songs that we find in the Bible, in the book of Psalms. Now, I know most of our experiences when it comes to songs in church, it, it usually is only a few notes. Like, like uh, we sing songs uh, that are really uplifting and positive and encouraging. It's like a little bit of K-love. But it's, 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 it's usually kind of you know, generally very positive. We don't sing songs as, as Jason was talk to, as talking about. We don't sing like really negative songs or, or songs of judgment usually on a Sunday morning. And, and so what we're doing here is really bringing the songs of Jesus, the worship of Jesus into real life. Because here's what the Psalms do, and this is why I think we need to be spending some time in this today, is that what we have on one hand is our theological understanding of God. It's his character, his nature, the things that we've read about, the things that we study in his word, the sermons we've heard. And, and we have this, we have this like, rock-hard understanding of God's nature and character and theology, and God is good, and God is just, and God is gracious. But over here, we have this thing called our own human experience. And out of our experience flows our emotions. And so what the Psalms really are, are, are is this, is this you know, explosion, this 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 combination of the theology of God and our own human experience and emotion. And many times, those when those two things hit, they can be very positive. They can be thanksgiving and praise oriented, or they can be very, uh, very depressing, or they could be lament. And so, so what we're doing here in the next eight weeks is we are bringing our experience and our emotions to the word of God saying, is there a psalm for that? Like, remember when Apple came out with their, uh, you know, when the iPhone first came out 15 years ago? Now, if that doesn't make you feel old, Apple iPhone came out about 15 years ago. And, and they had this new ad campaign called there's an, there's an App for That. And the whole idea was, no matter what you're going through, if you want to find a restaurant, the whole app store was a new thing. And so it was teaching people how to use apps. And their whole tagline was, there's an app for that. Whatever you need, whatever you're going through, wherever you're at, there's an app you can use. Well, what we need to understand is there's a psalm for that. There's a psalm for every emotion. There's a psalm for every experience that we walk through. And Psalm 2 is one of the royal psalms. And, and so psalm, when we think about royal psalms, most of us feel a little uneasy or just maybe unfamiliar with how to really, what to do with them. I mean, they're psalms or songs or, or prayers that are, that are uh, directed towards the king of Israel. Now, most of these were written by David or Solomon, and they were directed to David and Solomon. The whole idea was, hey, we live in a, we live in a kingdom, the kingdom of Israel, and we want, we want to pray, pray for and honor and bless the king. Now, we have to transport ourselves 3,000 years into the past right now. So let's go with 3,000 years into the past, because singing a song to a king is not something that you and I, as, as uh, 21st century Americans, are, are, are going to feel comfortable with. It's not going to like, it's going to be hard to relate to. 
But this is the thinking of what most people thought because there was no such thing as human rights. There's no such thing as a, you know, a court system to, to take problems to, um, you know, I, I'm going to defend myself. No, it was, it was the king. And whatever the king said went. And so here's what the mindset of the most common, everyday, average individual who lived under a kingdom wasn't just Israel, but you talk about Moab and, and Egypt and, and, and uh, Persia or, or Assyria, no matter what it was, here's what everyone thought. If the king does well, it will go good for me. If the king is wise and the king is good and the king, king is flourishing in his ability to lead our nation, our nation will do well. That was the whole premise. And so they depended upon the king to be wise and good and just. And so these royal psalms are written to bless and honor the king, to cry out for, to wisdom for him. And, and really, so, so when you understand that that's the mindset of, the, of, of that culture back then, how do we bring that into our world today? How is it relevant? Well, it's relevant in some ways in that we are still impacted by what our leaders say and do. Are we not? Our lives are impacted by our governmental leaders. They might not be a king, but there are different powers above us. We don't call them rulers and kings, but, but there's authority that we have that influence our lives. And, and what we should want more than anything is for the leaders above us to flourish, to be good. What, what royal psalms do is they teach us how to pray for our leaders in our nation. And so th this, this is important because if you think about our, our world today, um, it's very divided. When you think about what we have gone through over the last two and a half years, you know, you have the COVID epidemic, you have George Floyd, you have a contested election, you have January 6th, you have inflation, you have war in Ukraine, you have gun violence. I mean, these are just things over and over and over again. It just feels like boom, boom. Boom, and we live in this broken world, and, and, and every, all the human leaders and authorities think they have their own idea. And so we're sitting here, and the question we have to ask ourselves is, how do I respond to this? How do I respond to the mess of life? How do I respond to the, living in a broken world, in a broken system of human authority? How do I, what do I do with these emotions? This season with God that we might find ourselves in is a season of frustration. A season of frustration with what's going on around me. A season of frustration with our leaders. And whatever's going on, there's a lot of different emotions we can have. Maybe it's frustration. Maybe it's anger. Maybe it's angst. Maybe it's negativity. Maybe it's just apathy. Like, I just don't care anymore what they do. I'm just checking out. And what we've got to do is we have got to come to the word of God and make sure that we are shaped by God's word, to view our world, what we're going through, on a human level. This is something I think is, this, this is why the, Psalms 2 and Royal Psalms are very important for us as believers today in 21st century America, because here's why. Most of us, most Christians, most born-again, church-going followers of Jesus are more discipled by cable news than the word of God. We are shaped politically in how we think about the world and about people. And if we are not careful, we will, let, we will forget how the, world, the word of God should shape us and what we think and see about the world and what we think and see about our leaders. 
And so Psalm 2 is this beautiful song that's written. It's written by David. And most scholars believe it was written by David after God made a covenant with David. And we can read about that covenant in 2 Samuel chapter 7. God goes to David and says, listen, David, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make your family I'm going to have, there's always, there will always be a king sitting on your throne and there will be a coming a king from your lineage that will rule and reign, not just over Israel, but over the entire world. That's what's going to come from you. So he makes this, this covenant, what we call, the Bible calls the Davidic covenant with David. Now we know that the Davidic covenant is fulfilled perfectly through Jesus. But David writes this psalm in, in reaction to this promise that God gives him, almost like saying, okay, God, I know that you're for me. I know that you're for, for the, my kingship. I know you've called me to lead your people. And now I'm praying, God, that you will give me the strength and the wisdom and the blessing to fight against these other kings. Because here's what David knew. Here's David's reality. Every morning he woke up, he was surrounded by kings and kingdoms that wanted to kill him. That wanted, over, that wanted the land and the property of the nation of Israel. Whether it was Moab or Ammon or Persia or Babylonia or Assyria or Philistia or Egypt, there were kingdoms all around him that wanted to do him harm. And so he's, he's, he's reminding the people of what's the perspective we need to have. And that's the issue that we sit here today. We've got to ask ourselves, what is our perspective? When, when, when the nations are raging, when there's all kinds of craziness happening in the world, what is our perspective? Are we going to devolve into frustration and anger and grumpiness and, well, today, oh, can I, can I go to church with you? Right? And, and there's just, I was at a conference recently and this person said, you know what Christians are known for today? They're known more for their grumpiness than anything else. And, and I think he, he hit a right tone there because I think what we have done is, again, as we've been discipled by the world to think about world events and about governments and about authorities, our human authorities, we, we have not let the word of God shape us and mold us and teach us how to live. And so here's what we need to understand. What Psalm 2 is all about is this. Here's the main idea of Psalm 2. Kings and nations rise and fall, but Jesus wins in the end. Kings and nations rise and fall. Governments, authorities, powers. There's all kinds of human movements that are happening. They rise and fall. We could, we could do a history lesson on all the great kingdoms that have risen and fallen in our world. But what we understand is this, at the end, Jesus is reigning and will reign. And that should give us a different perspective. That perspective should shape us. And the first perspective shift we need to have is, number one, we need to understand the age-old conflict. This is an age-old conflict. Let's look again in Psalm 2, verse 1 through 3. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. What is he saying? He's saying, listen, 
This is, this is part of the human condition. This isn't just a problem for kings and rulers. This is a problem for every single human being that we believe that true freedom is found when God isn't telling me what to do. When I get to call my own shots, when I get to do what I want to do, how, how the Bible uh, defines freedom, how God defines freedom, is very different than how we as human in our human nature define freedom. We define freedom, humanly speaking, the way the serpent defined freedom for us in the garden. You don't want to really just listen to God your whole life, do you? You yourself can be your own God. You can be the one that determines good and evil. And from that moment in the garden, our first parents made a decision that their freedom for them would be, I get to call the shots for me. I will not submit. What freedom te- what the Bible's version of freedom is to submit ourselves to the ultimate for- authority. That freedom, we can enjoy the, the freedom of the Garden of Eden, this pleasurable understanding of his kingdom, his world, his reign. If I live under his rule and reign, that's where I find freedom. And so what you have here is a clash of definitions of what freedom is. And so all these people, they're, they're clamoring, oh God, we don't, we don't want you. We try to break off our, these, these bonds that we have. And so, so this is what is going on. And let me tell you something. This has been going on for thousands and thousands of years. This was written 3,000 years ago. And if the Lord tarries, it will keep going on. This is what, our, this is what rulers and kingdoms do. They don't want to follow the Lord. They don't want to obey anyone. They, they want to believe there's no one above me. I am the one who gets to be an authority. And so, and so this age-old conflict that we find ourselves in, it's really this tension between what these people are doing and what God is doing. And, and, and what you see there in verse 2, it says there's a couple things. There's a word play that David gives here in this text. In Psalm 2, it says, And the kings of the earth set themselves, or they take their stand together. And the rulers take counsel together. Now, the Hebrew, two words that are just talked about taking their stand together and taking their counsel together is yatsab and yasad. They sound very similar. Yatsab, yatsab and yasad. And, and so that's what they're doing. They're, they're taking their stand. They've got their plans. They've got their ideas. We're going we're gonna to do our own thing, God. We don't want to obey you. We don't want to follow you. And look at verse 4. He who sits in the heaven laughs. Now that word sits is the Hebrew word yashab. So you have yatsab, yatsab, yasad, yashab. See what's happening here? There's this play of words that David is saying. And the whole idea is you think you're going to get your own way and do your own thing. And God is just sitting down and he's chuckling at it. It's kind of like a, like, like, a, like a dad who sees you know, his little kid with a little paper sharp, I'm going to get you. And you're like, that's cute. This past week, I was doing some prayer walking around our parking lot. I'm not going to be doing it much this week because it's 99 degrees outside. But um, I was doing a little prayer walk, and I heard the squawking birds. You know, when bird, Birds can be really beautiful, but then there's times when birds are like, there's something wrong. And these birds were making this screeching sound. And, and, and I, could, I looked over in, in one of the lamp po- or lights in our parking lot. Uh, there was a giant hawk sitting on, just perched on top of this light. And the best thing I can, I can make out what happened was this hawk decided to descend on these two birds, their little nest. 
and he was just enjoying himself there. And these two little birds are like, and they're just swooping down and swinging around, and they're just trying to, just trying to get them to move. And, and the hawk was like this. Didn't matter how close those birds went, how loud they were going, what they were doing, the hawk was like, I could kill you at any moment. Like that's, that, was the, that was the attitude of the hawk. He could, could have cared less what those tiny little birds are doing around him. And that, that's the kind of the picture that God does here. He's saying, yeah, that's cute what you think you're going to do. You know, you know I've, I've been to Germany multiple times, and, and when you go there and you learn the history of the, the Third Reich and the Nazis, what they wanted to do is they, they, they made this grand claim, we are going to establish a thousand-year reign, the Third Reich. They had these amazing plans, and it didn't last more than two decades. You see, what does it say? The people plot in vain. Here's what I know by studying world history. No matter how evil or how wicked or how powerful these earthly kingdoms are and these earthly rulers are and the plans that they're going to reign forever and they've got a plan forever, they all eventually fall. They all eventually fall. What that should do for us is that should change our perspective. It should change our perspective from one of frustration to one of understanding of saying, hey, God's got this. This doesn't surprise God, so this shouldn't surprise me. Like, I, I think we, we get really, it always amazes me how sometimes when, when non-believers and when rulers and kingdoms and despots and evil people kind of like, we're going we're gonna to do something against the Bible and we're going to do things that are not according to God's word, like, oh, can you believe that? Yes, I can believe that. Because you know what? They're not followers of Jesus. Why are we so shocked when non-believers act like non-believers? This is normal. This is an, this, we need to understand this is the way our world works. That people in authority, in power, are always going to shake their fist at God and say, I don't want to do what you want me to do. And that's not just true for our leaders. It's true for us as well. This is the age-old conflict, and we are a part of it. And so what we've got to do is, instead of getting angry or grumpy or frustrated, we need to understand one thing. We need to understand who's in charge and who, what their future will be. Because look how it ends in verse 4 through 6. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. See, God has a different kingdom, and he has a different ruler in his kingdom. He's saying, you can keep doing what you're doing, but I've got a different plan. I've got a different kingdom, and I've got a greater kingdom. And so that, that leads us from the age-old conflict to Jesus' comfort. The age-old conflict to Jesus' comfort. There's something that this psalm does, and this psalm isn't just talking about David. David really didn't understand fully what this would mean, but this psalm is, is fulfilled in a greater way through Jesus. Five different times in the New Testament, the New Testament authors, Peter, Paul, John, and the author of Hebrews, quote or refer to Psalm 2. This was a major psalm to help the, the New Testament church understand this. what's happening here is what happened to Jesus. Like Jesus fulfilled this. And so, so knowing that 
God says, I'm going to have my king who's sitting on my throne in Zion. We know this, that this was, was fulfilled perfectly through Jesus Christ. Look at what the son says in verse 7. I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, you are my son. Today I've begotten you. Ask of me, and I will make the nations your heritage, the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them into pieces like a potter's vessel. There's something, that, that word dash them into pieces like a potter's vessel, you know, right in your little Bible in the margin, Daniel 2. Daniel 2. We're going to spend some time in Daniel. We're going to be there this fall. But in Daniel 2, Daniel has this dream about the statue with these different layers, gold and silver and bronze and, 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 and clay. And, and there's this giant rock that gets cut out of a mountain. And this rock just goes and smashes this statue. And, and what happens is it turns into dust and that rock becomes this giant mountain. It was a picture of what the kingdom of Jesus is going to be like in the world. That's the kingdom of Jesus that's going to rule and reign over every kingdom. And so in, 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 in Acts chapter 4, uh, we have Paul or we have Peter after he they get they get captured and or they get arrested for preaching. And afterwards, after being released and threatened, he's like, okay, what do we do? We we need to pray. And they're praying to God and they're praying for boldness. And they actually quote. Psalm 2, verses 1 and 2. Why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed. And at that moment, they said, God, you fulfilled this through Herod and Pilate, how they wanted to destroy your anointed, but they didn't, it didn't work. Their, their plot was in vain. You know why? Because Jesus rose from the dead. And the kingdom that he established through his death and through his resurrection, through the line of David, he was saying, no, there's a new kingdom here. What did Jesus say when he came on the scene? Repent. The kingdom of God is at hand. When Jesus came, he came announcing a kingdom. And so what we have here is we have this comfort. We, have, we understand there's something bigger going on here. In, in, in Hebrews chapter 1, verse, verses 5, in Hebrews 5, verse 5, in Acts 13, 33, when Paul's preaching, all of them quote Psalm 2, 7, saying, The Lord said to me, You are my son, today I have begotten you. Every single one of those authors said, That's talking about Jesus. Jesus came to establish a different kingdom. Now, here's what you and I, how is that relevant to you and me today? Because you and I are always going to be tempted to believe our greatest passport is the one with our nationality. And it's not going to be the passport for the kingdom of God. You see, it's easy for, it's easy for people living in an oppressed uh, country. If you think about people, if you think about Christians who are living right now in nations like Russia or China or North Korea or Indonesia or Egypt or Jordan, Places that are hard, places where there's oppression and persecution and attack. They're, they view themselves, they're, they're saying, no, no, there's, we're, we're so grateful that we're a part of a, of a better kingdom than the one we're a part of right now because of the wickedness that they're living under. The, the danger is that, that us, those of us who have grown up in a country that's free, that at some point in our history there was a value of Judeo-Christian ethics and a worldview, that many times we, we have this idea that, man, the kingdom of God is equal to my nation succeeding, and that is not 
That's not what it means. Like what we've got to understand is there's a greater king and a greater kingdom to be a part of. That we hold a different passport. And what Jesus is saying is, listen, I'm here to rule and reign. Look what it says in verse 8 and 9 again. Ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them into pieces. Jesus is saying, when, when I come, I'm going to rule like this. Now, you're thinking, well, when Jesus came, he didn't really do this. He was this kind, this gracious, this suffering servant, Savior. And yes, what we see is Jesus, the first time he came, he did not come as fulfilling the last part, coming with a rod of iron. He came, first of all, to provide a way of salvation because he wanted the nations to know him. He did want his kingdom to extend to the ends of the earth. That's what he's doing. In verse 8, that's what Jesus came to do the first time, his first advent. What Jesus is coming the second time to do is verse 9. And we see this in Revelation 19. I want you to turn there really briefly. Revelation 9. Keep your finger in Revelation or in Psalm 2. But I want you to see Revelation 19 in this passage. Revelation 19, verses 11 through 16. Now, now here's, here's another picture of Jesus that most of us don't have in our the front of our Bibles, or we don't have pictures in our house. Usually when we have pictures of Jesus, it's like something. I saw a picture of Jesus. And that picture when he's reaching down in the water to grab Peter, it's just a beautiful picture. Like, we all love this kind and gentle and gracious Jesus, but then there's a Jesus with a sword. It, look, what, look what Jesus is going to do in the future. Now, remember the rod of iron in Psalm 2. Then I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and he makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems. And he has a name written that nobody knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood. And the name by which he is called is the word of God. The armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. And from his mouth comes a sharp sword with which he will strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron." He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God, the Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Guys, that is our Savior. I'm so grateful Jesus came first in a gracious, humble servant. But we must never forget that this is our Jesus too. And Jesus is going to come back one day. And he's going to come back with a sword and a rod of iron, and the world will face the wrath of God. And you know what? That is a good thing. That's a good thing. I grew up in churches where they talk so much about the wrath of God, it just scared people into heaven. And I don't think that's good. But I also know this, that many times, we, we have neglected to talk about the wrath of God in a reaction to that. And, and, and what does this mean for us? I think there's, there's something you and I can learn from this. What's the perspective shift we need to have? N number one, you and I need to have incredible comfort. Because you know what? The nations can rage. The peoples can plot in vain. Our nation can go in all kinds of directions, spiritually, economically, whatever. 
we belong to a different kingdom, and we know, we can have comfort that whatever's happening in this world is not, is not the final, it's not it. There's something better to hold on to. There's something greater that we can, we can look forward to. And so we can have incredible comfort in, in the midst of what's going on. It's like there's chaos, there's evil, but we know, hey, there's a day coming. I remember when I was at school, one of the things that um, was always hard was when your teacher would get a substitute to come in. And uh, there's nothing worse in school than a substitute that doesn't know what they're doing. You know what I'm talking about? It, it, when, I was, when I was a kid, and there were these subs that, you had the, some subs that were just clueless. They didn't know what was going on. But the worst subs were the subs that would come in and be like, hey, kids, I'm your sub today. Let's be friends. And you're like, oh, you're going to be destroyed today. Like you know, fresh meat. And this person would just be tormented and tortured because you know what? No student wants to be the friend of their teacher. That's just not a good idea. And it would just be chaos and it'd be horrible. And you're sitting there, not that I ever did that, but like the other people in the classroom that would torture the teacher. But, but you're sitting there and you're thinking, oh, this is bad. This is really bad. And you just can't wait for the right teacher to come to, make, to bring order, to bring stability, to bring goodness to that classroom again. How much greater when it comes to our world? You know, when we go through the heartache and the pain and the struggle and, and, and all these things that are happening in our world today, we can look and say, there's just a bunch of substitute teachers in charge right now. That's all they are. But there's going to be one day the king's coming back. And because he's coming back, not only does it give me comfort, it should also produce in us a sense of urgency. See, you and I need to remember this. That as much as this is true and this will happen, there will be people that we know and love that if Jesus came back today, they would receive this. They would receive the justice and the judgment and the wrath and the fury of God Almighty. How does that impact us? How does that affect us? If we are followers of Jesus, we, we shouldn't be the ones who are sitting in our homes being like, I can't wait. Does our heart have compassion towards those who are lost? Again, I think that for some of us, if, if, if cable news and podcasts and social media have discipled us more than the word of God, then there's some of us that would rather see people that are of the different political spectrum than us go to hell and we'd be very happy for that. We want the judgment of God on them. And we have to check our hearts to say, you know, the heart of God is that he's not willing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. Do we have the sense of urgency and do I have the sense of love towards my friends and towards my neighbors and towards my family and, and towards the people around me, the people I work with, that I say, you know what? I, I need to warn them yeah, they might, think, they might think you're crazy. We don't live in a world, we don't live in a nation that honors this anymore. They, they look at the God that we worship and they think, not real. But at some point, we are held responsible for what we do to represent him. We are called ambassadors for Christ. And if we represent a different king and kingdom, we've got to remember that when we're walking in our world today, 
That is our priority. That's what we need to hold on to. So instead of getting frustrated and angry or, or hopeless, we can have this comfort and we should have this sense of urgency that we have been given a mission to represent him in our world today. And that leads us to our, our last perspective change, and that is our confidence. So we have Jesus' comfort, we have the age-old conflict, and then we have our confidence. Look at the last, let's go back to Psalm 2. And the last three verses of Psalm 2. It says, Now therefore, O kings, be wise. Be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way. For his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. If you think about how this psalm is structured, it's structured as the problem. Like there's man's rebellion. Then you have God who's responding to man's rebellion and saying, I have a king that you have to answer to. And then the king, who is Jesus, says in the next three verses, hey, this is what I'm going to do. Here's the promise of my kingdom. I'm coming to, to bring my kingdom to the ends of the earth, and I will eventually rule with a rod of iron. And then the last three verses, 10 through 12, are man's response. See, see we don't have to stay in our state of rebellion. We have now an option. If you understand who's really in charge and who really has the authority, who really has the power, and you understand who has that authority and power in Jesus, what will you do? See, that this isn't just for our national leaders. It's not just for government officials. This is for every single one of us. See, every single one of us, we have to ask ourselves, have I kissed the sun? This idea of kissing the sun is the idea of paying homage to him. You see this in ancient contexts when, when people would go to, this, to, to the regent or the king to show that they were, they were submitting to their authority, would kiss their hand or kiss their ring or kiss their cheek to show them, hey, I'm placing myself under your benevolent leadership. And so that's, they would submit themselves under the authority of these kings. And that's what we are called to do today. Every single one of us are called to say, I'm placing myself under your authority, under your rule. You're in charge. I might not understand the nations raging. I might not understand how long these plots are going to be in vain. But I know this, you're in charge, and I'm going to live my life for you. I'm going to serve you. I'm going to love you. I'm going to put myself under your authority. That's what I'm going to do. That's what the choice that we have. All of us have to make the decision of whether or not we will kiss the sun. But the other thing, I, I, the, the other application for this is, is when you read how the, the authorities should respond, here's what I think. And, and, and I don't like to tell people how to vote. I'm not, I mean, political party. I don't think that's, that's any person up here telling you that what a party sh you should vote for. But I will say this. What, this, what, the, what the word of God teaches us is that the people that we should vote for are people that are going to represent us and people who are going to lead us should be people that understand there is a greater authority than them. That there's a greater authority than their authority. And that they are answerable to that authority. I think when we elect people or when people are in government, no matter what king or kingdom or government or, or nation they're a part of, when leaders have this kind of understanding that they are responsible to God and they are accountable to God, 
the almighty God of heaven and earth, then guess what? They will lead better. And it, what it makes me want to do is I, I want people to run for public office that are like this. I think that's, that's, a, that's an application point for us today. But the other thing that I think we need to do is we need to understand that we can have confidence. You and I can have confidence today, knowing that this is the king who's going to reign. And this, that last, look at that last sentence. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. Blessed is a key word in the book of Psalms. And another key word is refuge. Refuge is mentioned dozens and dozens of times. After all is said and done, after everything, every, all of these things that are happening, we know this great conflict that's going on. Here's what you and I have to understand. There is no guarantee that our rulers and our kings will kiss the sun. So what do we do? What do we do when we live in a nation and in a country where the leaders don't kiss the sun? What we can do is we can take refuge in him. We can put our trust in him. Because being our refuge doesn't necessarily mean that God's going to make everything turn out all right. One of the best uh, people, one of the best biographies I've ever read is a biography uh, on, on uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer by Eric Metaxas. If you never read that book, I would encourage you to read it. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was uh, a, a theologian, pastor during the, during the days of, of early Ger Germany, before the Nazis, and then during the Nazi rule and reign. And Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a brilliant theologian. I don't agree with all of his theology, but he was brilliant. And he got a, a PhD in, in theology from one of the most prestigious universities in the entire world. And uh, he, he was on his own spiritual journey in, just, in learning about the, the, uh, the, the African-American church here in, in America, teaching at different seminaries, going to England. And he left his nation to teach and to to un understand different parts of, of the church around the world. But um, when things started getting really dangerous back home in Germany, he had a decision to make. And he decided to go back. He decided to fly back and to go back into his nation where he knew that the most likely, he was, he was fighting a battle against a, an authority that he knew he was, you know, earthly speaking, they were way more powerful. But he goes there, and the reason why people warned him, don't go back, you're, you're going to get killed, you're going to get arrested, and, he, and they go back after, after he falls. But Dietrich Bonhoeffer knew this. He's, this is what he said, I can't go back and lead a people that I was not willing to suffer with side by side. So he flies back, goes back to Germany, and he, and he begins collaborating with other pastors within the Lutheran church and within the evangelical church that was there in Germany. And they created this network called the Confessing Church because what they wanted to do is they wanted to remind their nation that no matter what happens to the majority of the people in this nation, we are holding true to the confession of Jesus Christ. There's, there's an amazing book I read a number of years ago. It was, it was called Preaching the Cross in the Shadow of the Swastika. And these sermons that, were, that, were, that were, have been kept by history were, 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 were proclaimed and preached in, in churches across Germany at a time when to, to speak evil against Hitler was, was a risk to your life and livelihood. 
And these pastors in their bravery and their confession to holding true to finding their refuge in God would get up into their pulpits on Sunday morning and they would get out their manuscript and they would preach against the evils of Nazi Germany, knowing that in a few days they would be arrested to go to a labor camp, maybe never to see their families again. That is what it means to take refuge in God. It doesn't mean that your life is gonna turn out all right, but it means that I'm putting my trust and a greater king, and a greater kingdom. And listen, that's what this world needs. That's what, that's what the world needs to see out of followers of Jesus today. That we find our hope, we find our trust, we find our confidence, we find our joy, that it doesn't matter, the, the nations can rage, the peoples can plot in vain, President Biden can do what he does, and Congress can do what they do, and the Supreme Court can decide what they can decide, but my Hope and confidence is in the King of kings and the Lord of lords who will never change. That is what our hold is. That is what we need to remember. And so as we leave here this morning, listen, Dietrich Bonhoeffer paid with his life. He eventually got arrested and he eventually was hung days before his concentration camp was liberated. But he was a man who found his refuge in God. There's no promise that, that our nation will turn out well. There's no promise. I, I pray for the revival of our nation. I pray for God's justice to come. I pray for his, a movement of God's repentance to come to our nation. And I pray for this desperately. But if it never does, I have a refuge. I still have a hope because I belong to a greater king and kingdom. A couple questions and then we're done. Number one, whose throne are you trusting in? Who's the throne you're trusting in? What's the throne that you're putting your hope in? What's the, what's the perspective that you're going to have? What, are you overwhelmed with frustration and anxiety and depression and anger over the events of our human world? Or do you have a greater perspective of a greater throne and a greater king. That's the one I'm, that's the one I'm under. I, the, the nations are raging. The peoples are plotting in vain. I'm with a king who's laughing, who's scorning. Number two, have you kissed the sun? Have you kissed the sun? All of us. Listen, we, we don't get to make the choice for our own leaders. We don't get to make the choice for the gov- our governor or president. Biden. We don't get to make that decision whether or not he kisses the sun. But you and I, we do have a choice of whether or not we will submit, whether we will humble ourselves. Listen, you might be sitting here today and and hearing all of this conversation about Jesus and God and, and salvation. And let me just tell you, God doesn't just want to be your savior. He wants to be your king. You can't, you cannot divorce Jesus being your Savior and not being your King and Lord. You can't have one without the other. So what, whether, you, whether you're doing that or not in your life or not, that is something that all of us have to make the decision to do. And I'm going to encourage all of us to do that today.